Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Coming to you from the Switch 1197 studios, this is a debut episode of the Brisbane Football Review. My name's James and I'm going to be your host for the next 27 odd weeks as we go through the A-League season. I'm joined by Scott and Adam. Guys, welcome. Hey James, how are you? James, good to be with you. Thanks guys. Now we're presented in conjunction with Outside90.com and the Daily Football Show. We're going to be working with them throughout the season. Now, first of all, let's start with some introductions. Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well I've been a Brisbane fan pretty much since day one and people probably know the Raw Review on social media, Facebook and Twitter. I co-founded that in 2011. And here we are. So That's it. So this is the next step for that page going Absolutely. into Brisbane football. It's about two months in the making, so good to get started. And Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, basically, my I guess, small claim to fame is that now I guess a bit of a presence on Facebook. Um, obviously, big, big Raw supporter. Been there most of, uh, of their time. And, uh, yeah, basically, yeah, like I said, it's good to be on board. Excellent. Now... For those of you listening through Outside90.com, you might have read some of my stuff doing Socceroos coverage, and it's just great to be talking for once instead of writing. All right, so let's get started. Um, what do we want to do with this, Scott? What do you hope to achieve out of the Brisbane Football Review? Well, it's, uh, we're growing further. We're going to hopefully integrate with some of the other fan channels around the league. And yeah, just podcasting, maybe some videos. Yeah. That's it. We're going to be uh, doing those video pre- uh, match recaps after the yes. Brisbane Royal Melbourne victory game on Friday night. Yes. So. I believe you're doing fan cams as well, James. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to be talking to the drunk people outside Suncorp Stadium and editing out all the naughty words that they say. <laughs> all right, so let's get into the off-season that's been for the Brisbane Raw. So, it was a bit of a dramatic off-season with more ownership dramas with the Backery group. Adam, what do you think is going to take to solve all of this this season? Oh, look, it, it's a multitude of things. I think it's a case of, you know, at some point the FFA have got to look and see, well, you know, the backeries, you know, are they doing the right thing, not by only the sport in this in the city and the state, but also as well overall as a brand. And I think I think they've done some damage um, as far as, you know, support as the membership numbers attest mm-hmm. to. And I think it comes down to they've got to draw a line in the sand and say no more chances. They've, give, they've given them probably too many t- chances and... Yeah, it's, it's, now, it's now time to either put up or shut up for the backeries. That's it, definitely. And one of the main issues has been the fact that they've been late with wages again, and there's been more drama about who's going to be the managing director of the club. All right, Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mark Kingsman, the new managing director of the Raw? Okay, so we don't know too much about him, but we know he's the, I think it's CEO of East Coast Car Rentals, and he seems to be more about actions rather than words. So he's not saying as much as what Cobb was saying previously. It's more about actions. Examples like back at Ballymore now. Finally, back to a training venue that the Aloisi likes, and 
because I don't think Griffith was really up for it. So that's kind of the way he's running it, about actions rather than words. So you might not hear much from him, but it seems to be running much smoother behind the scenes now. But it seems like one of the things the fan base really wants is actions instead of empty promises. Absolutely. Now, We've heard enough. That's it. Now, there have been some fixtures taking place. One proper competitive one. That was the FFA Cup against Perth. Now, what did you guys make? We'll start off with Adam. We, had, we played a couple of closed-door friendlies, and uh, we're, at the end of the day, Perth were just uh, too good. Um, was there room for improvement? Yes, but uh, in a knockout competition, you know what? They won chance, and uh, they're, they're out of the cup, so... That's it. Yeah. And, Scott, do you kind of feel like maybe the Raw don't treat the FFA Cup as a priority more as sort of like a pre-season tournament that will help them warm up for the main competition in the A-League? I think a lot of teams treat it that way, to be honest with you. If you look at the um, Adelaide got knocked out by Brisbane Strikers, obviously they brought a very young side up. I think the Mariners took a young side down to Melbourne as well. So I think a few teams have done that. But on the, on the night, I think Perth just, they had the set-piece advantages. They had it last year, and I think it's going to be a big strength of theirs again this year, and they just made it count. That's it. It does kind of feel like there's a bit of an attitude of, well, if we get through the first couple of rounds as a professional club, then we might start to ramp things up as the season gets closer. Now, there have been a number of pre-season friendlies. Scott, you've been to a fair few of them. What's stood out for you so far? Uh, there's been a bit of a change in the system. That's the biggest thing that's stood out for me. It's a change in midfield as opposed to a flat three. It's more of a two sitting and a number 10 type. I think it's to accommodate Brett Holman. I think he's going to be a big part of the way the team plays. So It's been alright. Nothing's really stood out in terms of individual performances or anything, but yeah, that's been the biggest thing I've noticed is the slight change in midfield. Alright, and Adam, what have you taken away from this preseason so far? Um, I think I think a lot of the um, these composite games against the BPL All Stars and the MPL Under Twenty Threes, look, it, it's a good it's a good thing for the community. But you know, as far as raw preparation, does it really um, make a difference? Does it really show where this side really is at? You know, you know, just scraping by the MPL side against Cusack a couple of weeks ago, is that really preparation going into the season proper? I'm sure John Elwissi will say yes, but. Uh, Look, I guess the proof's going to be in the pudding on Friday night. Well, that's it. And I think based on the results from Aloisi's first season, you have to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, Absolutely. considering how yeah. well they came out of the blocks Absolutely. last year. Mm. All right, now this is a Brisbane football review. We're going to come back and look through the entire Raw squad. So we'll be back after this at Switch 1197. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back to episode one of the Brisbane Football Review, presented in conjunction with Outside90.com and the Daily Football Show, recorded from Switch 1197. Guys, let's get into the squad. What do you say? Let's go. All right, so we'll start off with uh, the goalkeepers, I suppose, the most important men at the back. We've got Jamie Young and Michael Theo as the first-team contracted players. I'd say Jamie Young would be considered far and away the incumbent starter, but Scott, do you feel like Michael Theo would be in any way able to challenge him at the moment? I wouldn't be surprised if he starts, actually, on Friday, because the last couple of games, it's been Theo who's been played. Young, I think it's a finger injury he's had. Okay. So I wouldn't be surprised. Young should be the starter based on the way it finished last season, but you never know. I think Theo's kind of still seen as the first choice when he's fit and ready. And that's been the real big problem for him. He's missed a fair few games in recent times with injuries going back to the start of the 
2014-15 season. Now, Michael Theo did speak in the off-season about competition. And do you feel like having two goalies on the same level are going to try and push each other to get better, Adam? I think so. Um, obviously, Michael Theo, he's the, he's the most uh, decorated uh, goalkeeper and, I guess, player in the A-League as far as titles go. And I think he will obviously push hard. He'll always think that you know, he's number one. You know, as we know, goalkeepers can play to well into their 40s. So I'm sure he will believe that he can play. But I think the tide is going where I think Jamie Young eventually, by the end of the season, assuming his form holds up, I think will be undisputed number one for the Raw going, I guess, into the future. That's it. And one thing that we've seen really improve from Jamie Young is his consistency. I mean, he's always, to me, been a really good shot stopper, but he's been capable of one of those brain fades at the worst possible moment. Like, I remember we were at a game last year and I was telling my friends that I was sitting with, you know, oh, he's going to pull off three or four fantastic highlight reel saves and then he's going to do something stupid like throw the ball to the opposition striker. Literally two minutes later, he fell over, the ball went between his legs and it had to get cleared off the line. Yeah, that video's gone viral, I think. <laughs> That's it. But I feel like Jamie Young's he's gotten so much more consistent now. And I remember in the finals, he pulled off some fantastic saves. So for me, he would be the number one option. As you said, he's the, he's the better shot stopper of the two, I think. Although Theo's not too bad. It's just the distribution. I think, and the way Brisbane play playing out from the back, I think Theo's distribution is what has always been preferred. Remember when Young first came, it was, it was a Sydney game at home? Sydney, yeah. October 24th. Straight to Yanko. Yeah. Oh, you've got the date here, you? Yeah, I'm weird like that. I remember all the stupid things. <laughs> But um, yeah, he was straight to Yanko and he got lobbed being way off his line. And it was yes. just, he's gotten so much better at that though. It's better than what it was. Yeah. Still not, you know, perfect, but what goalkeeper is. Now all he has to do is uh, make how many penalty shootout saves in a grand final? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not that we're holding Jamie Young to a ridiculously high standard or anything. All right, so let's move on to the centre backs. Now we've got Jade North, Luke Devere, who missed all of last season with injury. Daniel Bowles, who filled in quite well, I thought, and Kai Rolls as a first-team player. So, Scott, what do you feel like is the main strength and weakness of this group? I think it's a decent starting partnership with North and Devere if they can stay fit. I mean, that's the big question around Luke Devere. Can he stay fit? I mean, the, I think it's well-documented the injury he had against Villarreal. He shouldn't have played that night. I remember John Alusi was talking about that at a fan forum last year. He said it was... I can't remember exactly what he said, but he tore the, tore the groin off the bone, I think he said. Yeah, it was something like... And he like... missed the whole year because of that, and he's only just getting back to full fitness now. It was an injury that I don't think anyone really wants to have. No. So, Daniel Bowles, how do you feel about him as the first choice uh, replacement? Ooh, I think I think, well, I think he's the only choice we have, really. And, like, so unless we rely on the young guys like um, Rolls, like uh, Conor O'Toole, who, who are both uh, under-19 you know, junior soccerers. But, um, like I said... That's a lottery. I think we've, got, we've just got to you know, hope and pray and faith that you know, Daniel Bowles can step up if there's an injury to Jade North and, and or uh, Luke Devere. I think Rolls is also starting a year injured because he's not in the under-20 squad for the World Cup qualifiers. He was left out of it because of his injuries. Oh, well, that's encouraging. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're already one. I think I did read that. Yeah, we're ready. So having issues as far as injuries already goes, it's not a good sign. I think, uh, and I think, I think if one or two more injuries, and it's going to really uh, show, show, I guess, a lack of depth in the uh, defensive roles, I think. And they did lose part of that depth with James Donerkey going to the Melbourne victory. <laughs> well, like I said, it uh, makes you wonder you know, about that, but I guess that's another story for another time. You know, good on him. He's, he's got that victory contract now, and I guess you now we move on. That's, mm, I don't, yeah. No point dwelling on it. Move on, James. Certainly. All right, let's, let's move on to the fullbacks. Now, one of those names you mentioned before, Connor O'Toole, he's uh, listed under there. 
And we've got Corey Brown and Jack Hingard as carryovers from last season. Shane Stefanuto has, of course, retired and moved on to another role with the club. And Jacob Pepper, I suppose, is one of the yeah. fill-in options. But that still feels quite light to me. Are we sure that they're going to be able to hold up throughout the season? I think that's the biggest problem we have as a club yeah. at the moment. If, if and, and Corey Brown's already, um, I don't know if he was injured or where he was rested against uh, Cusack in that final um, warm-up pre-season game. But if he goes down and Jack Hingert is apparently he's the left-back um, cover, I think, I think we've got real problems in that area. I think um, I almost in a way, I guess uh, the, the rain, I guess, robbed it, but the strikers left-back, Hiroki Omori, I think why he, he wasn't trying to at least put on, the, um, put on the roster or even offered a contract, I think that's... I guess I, I, we may come to regret that. I think I think maybe it'd been, being a Japanese citizen, maybe the visa be an issue and whether he's worthy or not of a visa spot. But at the end of the day, when you've got your starting right back as you're covering left back, that's a real problem. And I, I think this is one, one area where we've overloaded elsewhere and uh, and sort of not taking part of sort of the, the two per position as Aloisi liked to use last year. Now, forgive me for throwing back to the Holger Isaac days with the Socceroos, but do you feel like Matt Mackay might be able to come in in a pinch at left back? I don't think so. I think with Amori as well, it was more a case of the rain at the, the um, Central, Coast Mariners, Central Coast Mariners pre-season game and the fact that the strikers are in the NPL final series. I think that kind of robbed him of his chance. But and I think Hingard is going to be the spare left back, and they did try that in the, against the game against the NPL under-23 side. They played Hingard on the left and Jacob Pepper on the right. It went okay, but I think it might need a bit more work. I'm not 100% convinced by it. I think that's the one position in the squad where we might have some problems if some injuries occur. That's it. And like Corey Brown, he's you know come forward and strides, but I still feel like he's a little bit of a liability at times. I feel like he's very much a confidence type of player, so when he's on his game, he can really get forward and help out. But one mistake and it feels like he starts to let them snowball and I think Corey Brown also forgets sometimes we saw it last season I think he forgets he's a left back sometimes and I think and he almost gets over so that's not necessarily a bad thing but at, at the end of the day he is he is in the size of left back and he needs to cover and that's where I we've been exposed a couple of times I know last season especially and like we can only hope that he's worked on that during the off season he kind of reminds me a little bit of when Michael Zullo was playing left back as well where he had a lot of energy a lot of enthusiasm but he wasn't quite processing things fast enough. And I love the athleticism that Brown has, but they're still, you know, I don't think it's a finished product, which, you know, he's still young and I feel like he's got a long way to go. Yeah, he's always been the attacking type of fullback, even from his youth days. I think it's the defensive positioning he's got to work on. If he can get a hold of that, he can become one of the better left backs in the league. But until he does, he's always going to have that question mark over his head. And that's where you hope the coaching of guys like Aloisi and stuff can really help him out. And, you know, I feel like Stefan Udo still being around might be good. He's just got that experienced head that he can go to and say, hey, you know, I'm still struggling with this. What would you recommend? All right, guys, so why don't we move on to the central midfielders group? Now, we've got uh, Thomas Christensen, Jacob Pepper, Matt Mackay, Joe Coletti, former Melbourne Victory player, I believe. Uh, no, he's the under-16 Joey's captain. Under-16 Joey's captain. Oh, okay. Oh, I remember him now. Yeah. He's the, the short, short guy, guy who makes Matt McCoy look tall. That's right. And the guy who looks like he was 12 when they signed him. Yes. <laughs> Must have a bright future. We've got Nathan, now bear with me here, Constantopoulos. Very good. And then we're uh, playing as the two sort of number 10 attackers. We've got Brett Holman and Dimi Petrados. So I suppose your first choice is the two holding midfielders in the new system you alluded to before, Scott. Yeah. Christensen and Mackay. Do you feel like those two are going to really be able to hold up throughout the season? That's the big question with Christensen as well because he's been kind of nursed through the preseason. 
He was named in the squad for the game against MPL Queensland and they just dropped him out at the last minute. So that's the big question. If he's fit, I think central midfield could be good. He's got that height as well that Brisbane have lacked since the, the Eric Pardlew days. And, you know, he's got, he's got pretty big shoes to fill replacing Corona. What do you think he's going to have to do to try and, I suppose, either make people forget Corona, not that they ever will, or sort of fill in the void? I think that's the big challenge for Thomas Christensen more than anything, is that actually tr- seeing whether, you know, trying to escape those comparisons to Corona. Like I said, we've got to remember, Corona is the voted player of the year, and it has a big hole to fill, and I think it's getting too big. And we've got to be careful, like, like with Brett Holman, we'll talk about later, we've got to be careful that we don't overload them with expectation. Because if we're thinking that, you know, these guys are the messiahs, uh, there's going to be a lot of disappointed people, I think, at least for the start of the season anyway. And I feel like last year, one of the things that Corona benefited from was the fact that he came in kind of, you know, under the radar replacement for Luke Bratton and just totally dominated. Now, I don't know if Christensen's going to be able to handle pulling the strings from the base of midfield on his own, but I suppose one area he could improve on is a little bit of mobility because I do remember Matt Mackay, I think it was on the Daily Football Show actually, where he said Corona would be telling everyone else where to run and sort of pulling the strings himself. So, what do you feel like the main differences are between Christensen and Corona? I think Corona is more the deeper lying playmaker type. I think Christensen's going to be more for cutting out the counter-attacks. I think it's going to be more rigid this year. Christensen's going to be more of a six sitting back. Mikhail will get forward and support, box to box, and Holman will be the link between the midfield and the striker. I think that's going to be the, the way to work. Whereas, it's hard to describe if you haven't seen them play because we've only ever seen Christensen once, and in the time he played against the BPL team, he sat back. He sat back a little bit between the Mackay and the defence. That's it, and I suppose there's only so much you can glean off YouTube highlights. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so we're going to come back and talk about the attacking midfielders right after this, so we'll be back in a bit. This is the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Let's go. Welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review, recorded Switch 1197. Guys, we're talking about the midfielders before the break, so we're going to move forward to the attacking midfield role. We've got two players, Brett Holman and Demi Petrados. Now, the acquisition of Holman was a bit of a surprise for me, purely because I thought Petrados, despite my you know reservations about him, he had a career year last year, and I thought he was phenomenal. Will Holman automatically start over him, Scott? I think so. I think he was brought in to start. You mentioned... Petrados is a confidence player. Oh, Brown's a confidence player. So is Petrados. I think when he's confident, he's a very good player. But when he's not, he kind of just drifts in and out of games, doesn't have the same effect. And I think Holman will be starting. And it'll be a good competition for Petrados as well because I think having some competition for his place, he didn't have that last year. There was no obvious person to start in that role if it wasn't him. Especially once Hervas had his issues. So I think the competition for Petrados is going to be good, but I think Holman will be starting. That's it. And I suppose working off uh, last season... 
and in Petrados's favour is he can actually play either of the wing spots as well. So having him come off the bench and able to play one of three positions, it's really going to work on his favour. Now, Holman, I think he was a popular whipping boy in his time with the so- Socceroos. Yeah, but <laughs> absolutely. Like, the more I'm hearing from him, the more I'm really liking this. It feels like he's grown up a lot and he's got a much calmer head about him. So what are you hoping to see from him this year, Adam? Well, I think it's the same as, as I said about Thomas Christensen before. I think if the weight of expectation from their supporters is not, you know, Messiah-like. Um, look, I think as a, um, as a player to come in, you know, with experience and whatnot, I think he's going to be a great acquisition. But if we, if we as supporters start thinking he's going to, you know, win us championships automatically, we're going to be disappointed because, you know, you've got to remember, you know, we all know him from his days in Holland and at Aston Villa and whatnot, even though admittedly he says he hated from the moment he arrived. But I think the... Um, his form in the UAE second division, I think 63 in nine, I think 63 games, 19 goals. It's something I guess you know you got to be cautious and say whether he's going to work into it, whether he's going to start with a bang. I think at the end of the day, I think the expectations is what's going to come down to it. I think with with Brett Holman, I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he'll come in and do a decent job for for the Roy in that role, linking the play. I think with the dwindling, oh not dwindling, but the decline of Thomas Broich. I think having Holman coming and picking up a bit of that slack, that playmaking, I think that's going to be really valuable for the team this year. That's it, and that's one thing we saw last year is they really tried to ease the load on Thomas Broich by having Petrados and uh, Corona acting as those extra playmakers, and I feel like it really benefited him as the season went on. So, you know, I, for me, I still can't get out of my head that astonishing 35-metre goal he got against Serbia in the World <laughs> Cup, which I think like that was at about 5am or something. I woke up my neighbours when he scored that. <laughs> I don't know if it was just pure shock or something, but he is capable of doing something pretty good from time to time. And I feel like that's something that's going to be working in his favour throughout the season is he's not going to have to come in and, you know, be the Messiah every game. He's going to, you know, maybe once a month have to come in and steer the ship. But there are enough players around there that can really share the load. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. There's a lot of players now attacking attacking midfield area who can do that job. You've got Holman, Petrados, Broich, and there's others as well who can step up into that. So it's not going to be solely on Broich, on Holman to do that, but it, he can certainly contribute very nicely to, at that. I think as well, um, the, I think the beauty of the, the shape of the squad at the moment, especially the midfield roster that we have, is that there is a. It looks like that it can be um, the formation can actually shift a bit and change mid-game. It's not going to be your standard dom formation or your two-three-one if you put if you play Jamie McLaren up the point. I think there's a lot of scope where things can change depending on the personnel and almost it can almost become a horses for courses um, sort of thing, which I think is, is something that we haven't had as a club before for at least for a long time, not since the Ange days. Anyway. And I feel like that's something that maybe Aloisi has learned in his time since he was fired from Melbourne Heart. He went off and learned a lot. Like he went to Barcelona, he went to a lot of big European clubs, and he learned how they manage things. So, I, you know, I think that's something that he's going to be able to play the matchups and say, all right, well, this guy's better for this games, but we might try and chop and change as needed. And as long as he doesn't make too many changes and mess with the rhythm of the squad, it's going to be really yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the wingers. So, like, as, as we said, there's going to be a couple more players uh, coming in. But we've got Thomas Broich, who, you know, I still maintain is the best import the A-League has ever had. It's not even a question, James. That's it. Got Tommy Orr, who came back late last season. And, you know, it had a decent impact, but I feel like he was still finding his feet back in Australia again. Brandon Borello, who, you know, really started off well, but faded a little bit as the season went on. And Shannon Brady. So, would you feel like the wingers are the deepest group of players in the team? 
Um, I think so. I think so. I think we're that. I think we're too deep no matter which way we go with it. Um, covered on the left, covered on the right. I think yeah. I, I think you really sort of in a way can't go wrong as far as you know our wingers go. But are we overloaded? Perhaps. But um, but yeah. Like I, I think it's uh, one area that I think we can have a lot of success from. That's it. And Scott, well, one of the things that really surprised me coming out this off season was Thomas Broich admitted his mortality as a footballer, where he said this could very well be my last season. I'm off contract at the end of the year. And he said he's okay sharing the role with Tommy Orr. So do you feel like there's going to be a bit of a job share across the board to try and keep everybody happy? I do think so. I do think there'll be a bit of a job share. And I'm not sure that we're overloaded, as Adam said. I think we've just got some fantastic options there. And they all offer to me a little bit different as well. Like Tommy Orr's a classic winger to me. He just gets down the left and gets crosses in a little bit. Broich likes to cut in. So I think you can use them depending on what sort of style of play you want to use on that given day. So I think that's the way that they'll both be used. And I think there's some very good young wingers in the squad as well. You mentioned Shannon Brady. There's also um, Jaden Prasad, who is in the under-20 squad. And so is uh, Joseph Champness, who scored the winner in the um, ASEAN Football Federation Championships about a week or so ago. I scored in the final. I think they won 4 nearly scored. Yeah, and that's it. And so they've got a lot of good young players coming through. And we're talking about it with the midfielders as well. Like There are a couple of players that, in a pinch, you feel like could come in and play a few games if the worst comes to the worst and the entire group is injured. It's always been that way with the Raw in terms of the wingers as well. You look back about a decade or so ago, you had Robbie Cruz, Michael Zullo and Taj Minikon coming through. I don't think anyone saw that those players having that sort of impact. And behind so, them was Tommy Orr. Exactly. We've always had the wingers coming through. It's kind of the, it's kind of the way we've always been. That's it. Adam, anything else you want to add on the wingers? Um, no, I think I think uh, Scott pretty much covered it. Um, I think yeah, may, maybe the word overload wasn't the right word at the time. I think, but I think we've got incredible depth there, and that has been as Scott said, that's the raw way. You know, we've always played from the wings, and I think yeah, that's one area that we probably you know. I guess we we're very lucky as a club to have strength in numbers. That sounds like a, a marketing campaign used by pretty much every football club in Australia at some point. Football, rugby, all the other codes as well. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the final position group. We've got the strikers, not the uh, Brisbane club that wears yellow and blue, but the (laughs) strikers up top of the Brisbane Royal formation. So we've got Jamie McLaren, Nicholas D'Agostino, and Joey Katavian. Now, obviously, McLaren is a definite starter, but who would you pick if he gets injured for a few weeks or he gets called up for Socceroos duty, Scott? It's a good question, because I think you can make a case for both of them. But I would go with D'Agostino. I think his goal-scoring rate is better. I think he's more of a natural number nine. And I just... I just, I'm not sure about Katavian. I think he's more of a 9-10 type as opposed to a natural number 9. So I would go with Diagostino if I had the choice, but I, don't, I think both of them would do a decent job for you. That's it. And you feel like maybe one of them might come in off the bench at some point? You, you'd hope so. That I think as well it's important that while Jamie McLaren is the undisputed number one striker at the club, that you know, in times where... You know, Hopefully that you now we can we can get some garbage time out there you now that he can give Diagostino and Katabian a run because heaven forbid you now we, we lose Jamie McLaren long term injury or even worse we we all know he's going to leave at some point whether it be you now in January or the end of the season we need to have a ready made number nine to go just in case I think a lot of our uh, form is linked to Jamie McLaren and him him staying him scoring goals. Well, that's the one thing that I think a lot of us are concerned about is the fact that he might leave in January because I think if he stays throughout the entire season, then it's going to be a little bit easier to try and find a replacement for him. But if he goes, it's just going to be all hands on deck because with the backups, that's a huge, huge loss with Enrique, who's now in Adelaide, I believe. Don't remind me. Yeah, (laughs) but that's a huge loss of having that guy who 
comes off the bench and you feel like he's always a threat to score one or two goals. It almost as well, um, not only Enrique leaving, but even even though his form wasn't so great, even uh, John Carlos Solzano, I think him him leaving as well at, at this point. Now, whether his form even warranted where the young guys break in front, it's, you know, it's anyone's guess. But you know, as far as you know, known variety, him you now going off. I think I believe he was playing at Rochdale Rovers in the BPL last time I checked. Um, him rolling around there and relying on the young guys, you know, it could work in our favour or it uh, could completely backfire, especially if uh, McLaren's injured or, um, or he's on an international duty, which yeah. is always a possibility. Yeah, we've just mentioned Enrique, and I think that's a role that's going to be interesting. I think Petrados could fill that role, but also the new guy who signed this week, Arana, the Spanish guy, I think he could also fill that role. Yeah, I'm not sure if... He's a bit I'm, of a winger or yeah. a striker, yeah. Well, that's actually one person we haven't really touched on. He's yes. uh, Manuel Arana. Yeah, he's a yeah, new I think he could fill Spain. that role. I think he could. I think that could be the way he starts out in the side, and maybe he'll eventually replace Borello if form form warrants it. But I think that might be the way he starts out in the squad. Mm, but you know, having him as an extra sort of pacey striker because that does play into McLaren's game, getting in behind the yeah. defenders rather than winning the aerial battles. But yeah, having that guy who can play up top and get in behind that could be Arana from the start. I'll be interested to see what happens because. There was all that talk about Brandon Borello's contract last season, and you wonder if Arana's just being brought in as sort of a eventual replacement. Because well, there's also talk about Demi Petrados even even leaving. I don't know how far that got, but uh, he was linked with uh, one of the Greek Super League teams. Um, so maybe that was, but obviously that's obviously gone quiet now. Um, I understand that Petrados may be in doubt for Friday night. Um, I did I did hear somewhere that he did, he rolled an ankle or something at the um, the members training run. On Saturday, so I, I, I haven't seen the squad yet, but uh, that may be, um, like I said, we, we don't know where Manuel Rana's at or whether Petrasso even start you now on, on, on Friday night. Yeah, I don't think Arana's going to be in the squad this week. I think I've, I saw somewhere that they're going to take it easy with him, like they did with Hervas. Hopefully, it's a different outcome at the end of it, but I think they're going to take it easy with him. Well, funny thing is about Hervas, he got off to pretty much a perfect start okay. with uh, like the back heel assist yes. for a winner in his first game. Yes, yeah, so almost his first touch. Yes, yeah, so he started off good and then just. Didn't do much after that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do bring Arana in slowly, just purely for the fact that, you know, he needs to acclimatise. He only landed, was it last week? I, I wouldn't think that we'll see much of him until, you know, late November, early December. I just, I just think, yeah, he's unless, unless he's been training pre-season in Spain or that, I, yeah, I think he's, he's still, you know, we shouldn't be relying on him for another six, eight weeks, I'd say. But I suppose that's the benefit of having this squad is the fact that Absolutely, you yeah, don't it's... need to throw him in Friday night. So yeah. I think was it round was it round four Hervas played? It was the Perth game because Enrique came back and it was the winner. Yeah, that sounds so about right. It was four yeah. or five early. Yeah, so I think somewhere around there might be the first glimpse you see of Arana. All right, so that's it with our uh, squad preview. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back in a little bit to talk about some season expectations and look ahead to Friday night. So we'll be back in a few minutes on the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com.
And welcome back to the final part of the Brisbane Football Review. We're going to talk about some of our season expectations and hone in on Friday night's season opener against the Melbourne Victory. So, let's get into it. Scott, why do you think the Raw are going to win the league this season? <laughs> we'll see about that. But there's plenty of experience in the squad. I mean, you look at guys like Michael Theo, Jade North, Matt Mackay, Thomas Broich, right through the spine of the team. There's not only experience in finals, but experience in winning grand finals. I think that's, that's important. When you look at getting to that stage of the season, I think that's an important thing to have. They're very strong in attack. They've got a fantastic array of attacking options. We talked about earlier, Borello, Broich, Orr, McLaren, Holman, the list goes on. And the first choice backline, if it can stay together, it's strong enough. I think if, it can, if the backline can hold together for long enough, they can compete for the top of the league. Adam, how confident are you in the Raw's attack? From an attack point of view, I think it's one of the league's best. Uh, but as a collective whole, like I said, it, it comes down to if we can keep our matchday squad together, the, the, the top 16 players, I think we are a better chance. I think the bottom sort of end of the finals, I think, is a sort of a realistic expectation. Once injuries start biting, it could be it could get sort of you know a fairly long season. You know, especially if you're asking some young guys to play some a lot of minutes against you know quality opposition and. Um, Look, I think as well, uh, as far as where we're at, sort of, I guess, getting into January, as far as we, we, we've got the uh, Asian Champions League playoff in February, uh, if if we somehow make that, uh, like I said, then we start playing, you know, twice a week, you know, in some parts, that's going to be tough on squad depth. So I think um, our chances, I think, you know, if we can keep the squad together, I think we can go, you know, well, I reckon we can almost match where we were last season. I think, can we win it? I think, yeah, it's, you know, we just got hope and pray, I guess. You know, anything can happen in this league, and that's the white beauty of it all. Well, and the thing is, like, the Roar aren't going to be the only team that are going to suffer injuries. I think one thing we learn about football is, while it doesn't have the contact of some of the other codes, you still see lots of injuries happening just with muscle strains and whatnot. And for me, while you're not, you know, hoping players get injured on other teams, injuries are a fact of life, and they are going to affect everybody. So... It might just turn into a war of attrition. Who deals with the adversity the best? But I think some squads, I think, are more susceptible to, to injuries yeah. than others. I think, I think where the roar, I think, at the bottom end, where you know you lose a key player like a McLaren or you know even a Holman or you know one of our backs, we're, we're going to be in a bit of trouble. Whereas you look at some of the other squads, you know, you, you take one player out, and you know they replace they replace with another quality player. So, look, it is it, yes, it is part of it, but but yeah, I think. Um, I said I think the Raw are probably more susceptible than, than most others. Okay, well, you know, we just talked about why the Raw can win the league. Scott, why do you want to? Tell, what do you think they're not going to win the league? I think it's what Adam was talking about with the depth, particularly at the back. I mean, the first choice backline is very good, and Daniel Bowles can fill in. But if we start needing de- more depth beyond that, it might be a bit of a problem. Also, in midfield, I mean, the first choice Jacob Pepper is probably going to be the first cab off the rank in that role. Maybe Petrados. I think, again, those kind of areas, if we start getting a lot of injuries accumulating, suspensions perhaps, you might start to see some problems. And that defensive group was a weakness last year, as we saw in that amazing semi-final against the Wanderers, or preliminary final against the Wanderers, where it was 5-4, and like they just got you know, battered down again and again and again. And it even happened the week before against Victory. It's just they only conceded one and were able to pull it out at the end. There's also some supremely strong sides around the league as well. You look at teams like Victory, Sydney, Perth, even Melbourne City in attack. There's some very good sides. And I think if with Brisbane starts struggling with depth, I think some of those teams might be able to make them, make them pay a little bit on that. That's it. All right, so let's get to the big question for our season preview. Where are the Raw going to finish? Scott? Oh, you had to go to me first, didn't you? Of I think course. they're going to finish fifth. 
I've got them finishing fifth. I got victory from winning the league, followed by City, Melbourne City. Victory winning the league, followed by Melbourne City, Sydney FC, Perth Glory, and Brisbane fifth with Wellington sixth. And I actually sort of pegged them to be probably just to miss out in the finals. Uh, that's probably not going to be the most popular thing being on the Brisbane Football Review show. But uh, like I said, we, we go. So it's all about expectations. And I just think the depth may catch up with us eventually. And like I said, as Scott said, there are some, you know, some really good teams. And the one thing I guess I noticed from this preseason is that while a lot of other clubs have got significantly stronger... Um, whether the likes of Christensen, Holman, you know, a few others that come along, you know, you know, keeps us at that level, is it's questionable. I think, um, yeah, I, I'm sort of really, I guess, on opti- optimistic. I guess that you know, look, we can make the finals, but you know, as far as if I had to put right now what my predictions, are, I think we'll just miss out in seventh. But I think it'll be it'll be a close call. I think us and Wanderers and Adelaide. I think the three teams that I think Asian Champions League is so important. I think to it the effect it has on the league as far as you know trying to the, the, the problem with the, our league at the moment is we're not adjusted to playing three games in a week, and that's going to really catch us out. And especially for our squad, again, it comes back to depth. Can can we you know play three games in a week and you know be fighting for a place in the finals and you know it all comes down to I guess February seven when we if we make the if we make the playoffs you know or make the groups I should say then yeah I think that's that's going to be really pivotal to the season. That's it. And like you are right, a lot of the teams around the league have found you know a way to strengthen themselves this season. In particular, I think the two Melbourne clubs and Sydney FC. So it's just a case of the raw might have been ahead of them last year. Can they? Like, have they closed the gap enough to get in the way? Now, personally, I still think they're all going to finish top four. Call me an unabashed, you know, biased <laughs> person and whatnot. But Nothing wrong with optimism, no. James. That's it. Well, for me, I feel like if we've learned anything about this playing group over the last few years is they are able to surprise us. Yeah. Like, a- as fans, we've seen them in the past and gone, oh, I don't know what they've got there. But you remember Postacoglu's first year. You remember Mike Mulvey's first Ooh. full season where <laughs> it was... They really came out and just did what they had to do and we saw that even last year where we weren't sure if there was going to be a club taking the field in round one <laughs> and then next thing you know they were in contention for the minor, uh, for the Premier's plate in round 27 so for me if they can get uh, they need to finish top two if they want to have any chance of winning the championship because and it's one of those stupid little trivia facts that I'm going to be full of the Roar have never been eliminated or lost a finals game at home so if they play their finals at home they're going to win and home form last year was the thing that kept the Premiership race alive till the end. It was the away form that really, really was the problem. And if they had picked up some of the points on the, on the road mid, midway through the year, they might have already had the Premiership won yeah. before Dropping, they got to round 27. Drawing points of lights in Newcastle, you know, that's, that, you know, they, in the end, that's, it's one point less that, you know, that's cost us the Premier's plate. So I think um, the home form's good. Um, it is the, it's the away form that needs to sort of work on, I think. It's kind of strange. Back in the early years, it was the away form that was keeping the team afloat and the home form was struggling. It's kind of flipped now under Aloisi. It's funny, like, just looking at Suncorp Stadium in general, you see a lot of the teams that have moved there, like in the other codes as well, the Broncos and the Reds, they struggled with the move to Suncorp Stadium as well. And going over to England with the Premier League, you're talking about West Ham struggling with the move to the Olympic Stadium, Arsenal struggled with the move to the Emirates. It's when you're trying to embed yourself in a new stadium, there does seem to be a bit of trouble with it. I think it's the new, the new stadium sort of, I guess, effect. You know, everyone wants to play there. You know, like say so you brought up West Ham, like you now London Stadium. It's uh, the the old Olympic Stadium is a beautiful place. You now everyone wants to play there, and I think until like, I guess home is where the heart is almost. And um, yeah, I think eventually, you know, I guess with the rule, we've finally turned it round where you now it is becoming a bit of a fortress. That's it, and I think that's something that's really been great in the last few seasons is the fact that 
you know, the crowds start to get behind them and everything. So I think if you have to look at the A League historically as well, at the start of the A League, it was all it was almost always the away teams winning often as well. I think there was some stat somewhere on Fox a few years ago. The away teams were winning. I think it was sixty percent of the time away from home. Now that's kind of flipped towards the home team winning more. So there might be something in that. Now that's a debate for another day. Talking yeah. about purpose-built stadiums, and actually, I believe that was on uh, yesterday when you're listening to this, the Daily Football Show, where they're talking about getting purpose-built stadiums and everything. So, a bit of cross promotion for our friends at Outside Ninety. <laughs> but speaking of home form, they're going to start off on that on Friday night. Brisbane are hosting Melbourne Victory, or as I call them, Melbourne Brisbane B, because of all the ex raw <laughs> players on there. 6.50pm kickoff at Suncorp Stadium. Scott, you've got some stats for us. Yeah, so you mentioned we're talking about home form. So Brisbane form in their first home game of the year. They've played 11, obviously. They've won seven of them. So seven out of 11 times they've won the first game at home. And one of those was against the victory. Do you remember the 5 nil? Yep. The 5 nil right. high five Ange game? Without us, you're nothing. I believe yes, it's one of the banners in the was, stands. Yeah, yes, right, that was one trust. of them. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. So that's, that's got to count uh, well for the Roar. And I believe they won their first home game last season as well. Yeah. So Aloisi's got a great... One game history of first home games. So. Uh, Adam, what are you expecting out of this game? Look, I'm expecting the Raw to put up a fight. I think, um, personally, I think uh, Melbourne Victory are the ones to beat this season. Um, but I think, we'll, I think we'll be a long way. Uh, whether fitness, whether a lot of other things you know, catch up with us, I think you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a tight one. I think the result may not be as important as the result. Obviously, we'd love to get three points. I think, you know, any raw supporter be hopefully, you know, we see a 5-0, but if we're being realistic about it, um, I think the performance will be more than that. If we can if we can go with them, you know, if a draw will be a great result, I think, you know, given all the, the fanfare and hype about the victory, you know, and they're, they're supposedly the big teams to beat. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, that will be a good result. I would be surprised that these two teams cancel each other out. Cool. They've both got very strong attacks. Both defences, I think, will be strong on Friday night. So I think Brisbane will have their first choice back line. Maybe in midfield, Melbourne edge it slightly, but I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams cancel each other out. That's it. So, any selection surprise you guys are expecting? Scott? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Probably not, actually. I think Brisbane's team is going to be pretty much what you'd expect, provided everyone is... Obviously, I haven't seen this week any injury concerns, so it seems like everyone's ready to go. So I think it should be what we expect. That's it. All right, so, you know, time to put it on the line. Scott, what's your prediction for the game? I've got it a one-all draw. I reckon 2-1 victory. All right, see, for me, I, I'd i love it to be, you know, the 5-0 we saw last March or something, but I feel like it's going to be something slightly more resembling the uh, semi-final game they had mm-hmm. earlier this year. So I'm going to say Brisbane 2-1, but I would not be at all surprised if the victory edged it because, as you said, they are one of the best teams on paper in the league. But it'll be interesting to see. So there we go. There are our predictions. Guys... That's our first show in the books. We survived. We survived. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much for listening through this. And uh, what do you say we do this again this time next week? I think we should. Why not? All right. Thanks very much for listening to the Brisbane Football Review at Switch 1197 and presented in conjunction with Outside 90 and the Daily Football Show. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com.